This is the Saucer Afterlife, in which we look at some things that might have gotten missed in previous episodes, look at new information that's arrived, and generally fit in the weird stuff that might not go into the regular episodes. In this episode of the Saucer Afterlife, it is the Woodrow Update. Update. So, you'll remember from a while back, we had our uh, our episode about Greta Woodrow and her books On a Slide of Light and Memories of the Future. She was a contactee, but very much more in the sort of Earth Changes, New Agey kind of contactee than, you know, the old-fashioned Space Brothers kind of contactee. So I mentioned in that episode that she had this nonprofit foundation, the Star Foundation, and that there was a newsletter, the Woodrow Update. And I think I, I, as usual, said, if anybody has a lead on the Woodrow Update, sort of let me know so I can I can find a copy for myself and, and take a look. And lo and behold, uh, because we've got the best listeners out there, the, the smartest, most well-informed listeners, um, the most resistant to flattery listeners anywhere, Listener Martin, Martin K, uh, sent me an email and said, I think I've got some I can scan. Would you, uh, would you like them? And of course I said, yes, please. And he sent me some scans, uh, some, uh, some nice JPEGs of three issues of the Woodrow update volume five numbers three, four, and five, uh, that take us from January to about June of 1986. So the first half of 1986 and we're not going to go through these page by page. In a lot of ways, these are fairly uninteresting newsletters. They're they're much more about uh, Dick and Greta Smolo Woodrow um, than they are about really her experiences um, as a contactee. The aliens, um, Tari the alien, does not really make many appearances here. But there are some interesting tidbits, and I'm going to share those uh, share those with you now. From the uh, the first 1986 issue, the uh, the front page story is when Elf that's in quotes is not a pixie, and I think I talked about this on a YouTube video uh, a month or two back when I first got these. But uh, this is about extremely low frequency or extra low frequency waves and how they can be used to mess with people, and it's 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 a fairly basic rundown of stories in the Washington Post and in the the normal the normal media about these sorts of things and uh, the, the best part though is um, is when she gets to her own personal experiences Dick and I have first-hand knowledge of the elf effect we were victimized by it in Reykjavik Iceland when the Russians were beaming from their station in Riga nausea uncontrollable emotional weakness and dizziness occurred we were literally taken to our knees. It wore off, but the memory lingers in our minds and in the minds of the 42 scientists who were similarly affected at the Frontiers of Physics meeting in 1977, says Dr. Puharik. Elf radiation signals are indeed psychoactive, causing mental depressions at 6.66 hertz. Other levels can lead to manic and riotous, terroristic behavior in humans. These elf waves can also cause changes in weather and in other biological systems. The beneficial frequencies are in the range of 7 to 9 hertz, end quote. Since that fateful conference, our good doctor has researched and developed a technology to protect each person from the destructive effects of elf frequencies. The protection device is an elf bubble designed in the form of a bracelet. Its three components attract and trap elf pollution, leaving the body to resonate at its natural 8 hertz frequency. As soon as they are available, we'll let you know where and how to get them.
You know, I don't think it's a coincidence that the harmful frequency was 6.66 hertz. It's the frequency of the beast, you know. And uh, I don't know if uh, I'll have to look through other the other newsletters and around the internet to see if Dr. Puharik ever did invent that bracelet that would protect us all from the effect of elf waves. Elsewhere in this first issue or this first issue that I have, we've got a nice story about how um, she had some ear earrings that were made from her father-in-law's cufflinks. Um, she couldn't find them, um, but then um, then she found them, and it was quote, fun and games, cosmic wonderments, silence, if not denial, not a very important event in the course of the world, but meant, I think, to be shared with you, my extended family. It brought me to my knees, earrings notwithstanding, for they are only things. I felt a reinforcement that we are on the right path and that the Ogata group approves. I am walking with a lighter step. Well, that's nice that she um, took finding her lost earrings as some sort of cosmic reinforcement that uh, things are good and it brought her to her knees or is she sure that she wasn't being affected by elf waves from the soviets also um lots of stuff about earthquakes and um earth changes sorts of things uh earthquakes volcanoes things like that um a little thing where she uh where she shows off her uh her classiness um asked to choose you know, one, um, a few recordings from three dozen major composers. What would her choices be? Uh, Box, Brandenburg, Concerti. Um, I'm, I'm low class. I say concertos, but concerti, I guess. Uh, and the double violin concerto. A few Beethoven symphonies. Uh, Berlioz's Symphony Fantastique. Brahms, ugh, Chopin, eh. Copeland's Appalachian Spring, Debussy, No Thank You, Dvorak, Okay, uh, Gershwin, Rhapsody in Blue, Grieg, um, I don't care, Handel's Water Music Suite and The Messiah, Okay, uh, Hayden, I don't hate it, Holst the Planets, I like it, uh, Liszt, Okay, uh, Mendelssohn, Sure, Mozart, Yeah, Mahler, No Thank You, Mus Musorgsky, Never Heard of Him, Offenbach, I don't know, Paco Bell's Canon, it, my personal love, she must have been to a lot of weddings because, man, that they wore that out. Um, Prokofiev, Rachmaninoff, Rimsky-Korsakov, Ravel, Rossini, Schubert. Uh, she likes uh, the piano stuff. Sibelius, I don't know, Sibelius is okay. Stravinsky, Tchaikovsky, Vivaldi. Um, but her favorite recording to take would be her husband or son singing in the shower. That's great. Um, one last thing in this, uh, in this one issue. Headlined. A dream deferred. This is a poem of some kind. What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore and then run? Or maybe it just sags like a heavy load or does it explode? Now, maybe if you're like me, you recognized this as a poem by Langston Hughes, one of the greatest American poets, um, he was part of the Harlem Renaissance movement. He is personally my favorite uh, Harlem Renaissance poet. I remember doing some stuff with Harlem Renaissance literature when I was in high school for academic competition. That was the uh, special topic in the, uh, the literature area that year was the Harlem Renaissance. She quotes, she reprints actually, A Dream Deferred here. She doesn't credit Hughes as being the author of the poem. Um, she really doesn't give any indication that 
it's not her work, which I find distasteful. Maybe she assumes that everybody just knows it's Langston Hughes. I mean, that might be, uh, that might be the case. So why does she quote this poem? Well, it's the lead in to sort of a scolding about planning for the future. So many people filter through this area and are eager to talk to Dick and me about their plans and dreams. Many take the bull by the horn and turn the visions into realities, while others just talk about change and changing year after year. Just talk. We did not defer our dream. We moved. We instituted a water and food storage plan, built a facility, and set upon a course to trumpet the voice and scribe the pen. Are you satisfied with your game plan for the tomorrow of which we speak? There are so many roads to the top of the mountain. Each one can prepare in his or her own way for the eventualities that come with major changes. We do not want any of you to have the dream deferred too long or explode. Something tells me she had really no idea what Hughes's poem was about. Did part of that sound like it was the beginning of a pitch for a reverse mortgage scheme? It, it just, or some sort of annuity sort of thing. I don't know. It just sounded, sounded like we were going towards some kind of, uh, some kind of big ask. Oh, wait, we kind of, uh, we kind of were on the next page uh, or a couple pages in near the end of this issue, this, uh, first issue of 1986, we have, um, we have, uh, some insight into what the star foundation was up to and why it was soliciting donations. We need your heartfelt financial support if we are to go into a major food, first aid, and clothing storage posture. We have our own. This is for you. So when it is time to think of your 1986 philanthropies, do factor in Star Foundation. You might do well to consider it an insurance policy for your future. So at least one aspect of the Star Foundation was to sort of create a shelter for people who did not prepare well enough for the calamities that are coming in the future and to sort of provide for those people. It's right on the edge of shady, in my opinion, especially the considerate and insurance policy. Although, let me look at it quick. She does put insurance policy in quotation marks, which I assume absolves her of all sort of legal liability for actually providing for anything for anybody in the case of actual disaster. So that was the first uh, 1986 issue of the Woodrow update. There are some gems in some future issues that we will probably touch on in uh, saucer afterlifes in the uh, in the future. But I think a full on episode of just going through the Woodrow update would be pretty rough. So we'll keep it to uh, 10, 11, 12 minutes here. The Saucer Afterlife is a production of Chizo Media LLC. Um, and the Chizo Media LLC associate producer is Simpson J. Hanover III. Chizo Media, working for the good of mankind along the lines of truth. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back with a regular full-sized episode in a week after this.